Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host. And today's episode will be a special episode starting a special series that we're doing. And then I will pick back up into the Beatitudes and continue on with the normal series of season five. So I will apologize again. I have the past few times I've made it on here, but there have been some longer gaps than usual. Uh, I've been in the middle of moving houses and setting up an entire homestead from scratch, pretty much remodeling the entire house and did not expect that. And we threw a big festival, Agora Fest, and all kinds of other things have been going on. And so with that, I have not, uh, at times, I have not even had a computer set up in my home to be able to record a podcast episode. But in addition, there's just a million things going on. And so I do apologize for the longer gaps than usual in between these past few episodes. But I think that I am actually going to be able to get back to it now. I do have an official computer set up. I've got the, we're calling it the schoolroom, but I've got bookshelves built. I've got the computer desk set up. I've got all kinds of stuff going on here. And so I think I am ready to get back to a relatively normal swing of things. So with that, let me explain what's going on for this episode and the next few. So we did a festival recently called Agora Fest, and it was hosted by the Agora, which was started by myself and uh, another person in our local Agorist group. And it has started to grow. We've got a food club going on there and some other activities going on. And so uh, with that, we wanted to do a festival and have a market and speakers and all kinds of things like that. And that's what we did. And it was really cool. We had a good time. There was a children's entrepreneur market that happened on the scene as well. And that was done by the Tuttle Twins organization. We partnered with them for that. And a lot of the families in our group participated as well as some others that came in. We had lots of folks that showed up from, I guess, the community in general. We served lunch with food from the food club. We had speakers come in and uh, give talks on related topics related to things like uh, natural health and homesteading and uh, just all different kinds of things like that, things that uh, I definitely promote on this podcast, alternative aspects of living outside the system. That's kind of the main theme. And so uh, with that, what I want to do, since there are so many crossovers with things that I have talked about a lot on this podcast, and I really did enjoy these talks a lot myself, I thought that it would be uh, really cool if I would then take these talks and get the audio from them and uh, release them for you. So that's what I'm going to do is do that for a series of episodes. If I remember right, I think there were five talks, five speakers. And so that would be the next five episodes. And I'll just release each talk as a different episode. And then we uh, will probably pick back up with the normal flow of season five, getting back into commentary on Matthew going through. We are in the middle of the Beatitudes right now. And so uh, that will be the plan. Today's episode will be the first talk from Agorafest. It was done by a local guy, Bradley Bleasdale, who also has taught at uh, Rogue Food Conference and some other things. That's where uh, I had heard him speak first in a more formal setting was Rogue Food. And that's the festival or conference that Joel Salatin and John Moody 
throw every year related to alternative food systems and that kind of thing. And so Brad lives about an hour away from myself and the Agora. And so he is pretty local. He is involved in our local group here and there at times. And uh, we have some good affiliations there and with the food club and a lot of crossover with things that we do. And so we had him come in and talk about preparedness. That was the main deal was, uh, you know, things might get bad going forward and they might not. And how can we be prepared regardless of what happens, whether it be a a nuclear bomb goes off or an EMP or a zombie apocalypse or whether it's just a tornado that comes through your area or the grid goes down for a few days or a few weeks or, you know, some sort of civil unrest. You never know what can happen. And so uh, given the times that we live in, uh, we believe that it's pretty wise to at least have a certain level of preparedness. And that's what Bradley talked about, this aspect of preparedness and self-sufficiency and community and how all those things tie together. And so what I will do is uh, drop off and let Bradley take this episode away. Now, I will give a warning. I, I think I did a fairly good job cleaning it up, but the audio was pretty bad from the original recording. It uh, There are multiple reasons why. It just did not turn out very well. And I was able to uh, rip that audio out individually from the video and uh, clean it up a lot with the software that I use for the podcast. And so I, I think I've got it pretty good, but it's definitely not going to be uh, the ideal, <laughs> but it at least will be, uh, it shouldn't be too distracting. It should be very easy for you to listen to, and you should be able to hear him pretty clearly and pretty well and not have any issues. I just wanted to give a heads up. It might not be quite at the standard that I would normally want to be at, but it is what it is. And so uh, you can just listen and see what Brad has to say. You have never met anyone more disorganized than me. Uh, my family has the largest raw milk dairy, at least in Tennessee, according to John Moody. It might be the biggest one east of the Mississippi. And of course, the cooler of milk that I left in the driveway, so I wouldn't forget it, is still in the driveway. So, uh, but uh, there is cream back there from a raw milk dairy. And I also, when I'm not busy doing that, I started a school a few years ago called the Sequatchie School for Self-Reliance because I didn't have enough to do as a farmer. So when Joshua asked me to speak today, uh, uh, with the school, I do classes all over the state, things like emergency preparedness, I teach rifle and pistol marksmanship, I teach classes on how to set up mutual assistance groups, which we're going to talk about today. So, uh, Josh said, I'd like you to speak at the Agora Fest. You have 45 minutes to talk about raw milk, emergency preparedness, and mutual assistance groups. And I said, well, each of those is normally about a two-hour presentation, so pick one, and I'll squeeze it down as best I can. And uh, he doesn't know me very well, because he said, I have absolute confidence in you. So, <laughs> uh, so to give you a little background, I grew up in Massachusetts. I was one of 13 kids. And we got running water in my house when I was in fourth grade, so that's why I don't really like it when I hear people griping and complaining about stuff, because I'm like, you know, how old were you when you got running water in your house? What are you talking about? Everybody has running water in their house. Well, I didn't. So you get a little bit different perspective on things when you have to carry water 
from a well or from the municipal supply to your home to bathe, to wash, to cook, that kind of thing. And that sort of set me on that the path that I was still on. I, I moved to Tennessee in 2002. We had an 8,000 square foot house in Florida. And uh, my mortgage every month was about $3,300. And it's kind of weird because you've got this massive house with a beautiful pool yeah. and the electric company shows up to shut off your power because you can't pay your electric bill, even though you look really cool to the outside world. And there's this thing called congruence, right? You want what you say and what you believe and what you do to be congruent. And everybody has some problem with that. A lot of times in my life I've had big problems with that. And what we're trying to do is bring our lives into congruence. We want what we think, what we believe, what we do. We want all those things to kind of work together for a positive outcome. And uh, the Agora and the Agora Fest, that's pretty much what we're going to be about here. Most people don't even know what Agora means. And, you know, there's the Agora, there's agorists. So when people ask me what an agorist is, I usually say it's a polite anarchist is the way I would describe it. You know, when we think of anarchy, we think of people throwing bombs and burning down buildings and stuff like that. But Joshua has never thrown any of the bombs that he builds. He just builds them. But uh, that's what we're about. We're trying to be there. And uh, I don't know if I saw, I spoke at the Self-Reliance Festival with Nicole Sauce a few months ago. And it's sort of an interesting thing that we're trying to accomplish because we're at the Self-Reliance Festival. So what we're talking about is being more self-reliant. And yet we want to live in a community, right? We need to live in a community. And that's showing up more and more all the time. So the way I describe it to folks is uh, I ask diagnostic questions a lot. So let's ask this, uh, an initial diagnostic question. Who here would say that the trajectory that we're on, the trajectory of our country, of the world, who thinks we're on a, a positive trajectory? Hang on. I'm not a Nazi, I'm not giving you a Nazi salute, so uh, i got to be careful. So who, who here, raise your hand if you think the country's on a positive trajectory. No takers. Okay, who here thinks that we're sort of static, that things are just going to keep going the way they're going and everything will be, you know, pretty much okay? There's gas in the gas stations, there's food in the stores, the electricity's on. Who thinks we're on a pretty much an even keel? No takers. Okay, who here would say the trajectory is heading down? Raise your hand if you think the trajectory is bad. A hundred percent participation. So, I teach rifle marksmanship, and when you're teaching rifle marksmanship, you talk a lot about trajectory. The bullet leaves the barrel, and it goes up. Initially, you have to point the barrel up, because otherwise, the bullet, the bullet's always falling, right? So who knows the uh, acceleration constant due to gravity? Jim Cunningham knows it. Tell me, Jim. 9.8 meters per second squared. So what that means is if you shoot from a perfectly level rifle barrel, that bullet immediately drops 9.8 meters per second squared. So what that means is after one second of travel, 
that bullet has fallen about 32 feet. After two seconds, 32 squared, a big number, right? You're, you're looking at 127 feet of drop after two seconds. And what did Mr. Newton tell us? A body in motion tends to remain in motion unless acted upon by outside force. So we're in 100% agreement that the trajectory of our world, our country, the economy, philosophy, all of those things is in a downward trend. Would you say the outside forces are trying to reduce that acceleration, trying to hold things up a little? Or would you say our friends at the UN, the World Economic Forum, and all of those, are they trying to grease the skids for us, right? Everybody's nodding. We can see where that trajectory is going. Well, if that's so, there is an air of inevitability about things, is there not? Because the trajectory is headed down. So I have a very good friend up in Cookville, Tennessee. He's a former lieutenant colonel in the Green Beret. Started out enlisted. He's been in the military now. He just retired after about 24 years. This guy has been all around the world kicking his doors and killing people. You never know what to look at. He literally looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. And I asked him the other day, we'll, we'll say his name is Jack, because if I use his real name, he might have to kill me. And uh, so I said, Jack, you've been to some of my classes. You know my skill level. Compared to you and the training you've had, it's nothing. If you've ever talked to people who've been in special forces, the level of training they have is almost unbelievable. So I said, Jack, let's say things are going to get real bad. He goes, or I said, if things get bad. He said, no, really, when things get real bad. The if is a foregone conclusion. I said, okay. There's one guy like you with your level of skill way, way higher than mine. Or me, but I have three good friends each of whom is equally well-prepared, equally well-trained, granted at a much lower level than you, who has a better chance of surviving when things get back? And he didn't hesitate an instant. He said, oh, you've got a much, much better chance than I do. And I said, why is that? He said, well, I have to sleep. When I'm sleeping, who's gonna hold security? I have to eat. When I'm cooking, who's covering my back? If I get injured, I can fix up myself. You've got three other guys that can patch you up. There's no question about it. So the paradox that we're dealing with is we all want to be self-reliant, and that's a good thing. But we absolutely have to start building community in order to survive, in order to thrive. We face a lot of problems, right? But there's uh, there's a. There's a uh, I'm, I'm going to write a book on biblical paradoxes. The Bible is full of paradoxes. There's no contradictions, but it's a, a lot of paradoxes. So uh, the one of the things that I use a lot is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we've all you know we've heard the term of Good Samaritan. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the Bible. And a lawyer asks Jesus trying to trick him, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And he says, look, you're a lawyer, you know, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, so on, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer tries to trick him. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? 
relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans back then. They were arch enemies. They hated each other. If you ask the Samaritans, can the Jews be saved? No, if you ask the Jews, can the Samaritans be saved? Absolutely not. Uh, a good contemporary analogy would be suppose a guy from the Ku Klux Klan meets up with a guy from Black Lives Matter. That would be a pretty good contemporary analogy. So what happens is this Jewish dude is walking down the street and he gets set upon by robbers and they beat him to a pulp. And a Levite, the Jewish dude, is walking by and he sees this guy bleeding in the gutter and he just keeps going by. And a priest goes by and he sees him bleeding. Another Jewish guy walks by and then the Samaritan dude walks by, sees this Jewish guy bleeding in the gutter, beaten to a pulp within an inch of his life. And it says he has compassion on him. And he binds his wounds. He uses wine and oil to bind his wounds. That's important. He takes him to the inn and he tells the innkeeper, let this guy stay here. I'm going to pay you now for his lodging. When I get back in town in a few days, if I owe you any more money, I'll pay you that too. Jesus asks the lawyer, who was his neighbor? And the lawyer says, Samaritan. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So what we learn from that, there's obviously tremendous spiritual application from that, that parable, but there's also a very practical application. That Samaritan view had the mindset to help and be prepared. Every class I do, whether it's emergency preparedness, Mutual assistance groups, marksmanship, we always start out with mindset. What is your mindset? You have to have the mindset of preparation. You have to have the mindset of wanting to help. You have to have the mindset of wanting to build community. The second thing is he had the right attitude, right? He said, I'm going to actually take that mindset and put it into action. The acronym, if you want to write this down, is Knowledge, attitude, skills, and that. He had the skills to do it. He actually had some emergency preparedness and medical training. And guess what? If you're in austere conditions and you're dealing with open wounds and all you have to work with is wine and oil, you're not in bad shape. The wine has alcohol in it, it will help to sterilize the wound of the oil that cover the wound and help it to heal. And he made that habit, right? He said, I'm not only going to pay it now, I'm going to pay it later in case I owe more money. Well, here's the paradox. Here's our neighbor. We're supposed to take care of our neighbors, right? Especially what does the Bible say? Widows and orphans, true religion is taking care of widows and orphans in distress. And yet the Bible also says if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. So people ask me that in the context of emergency preparedness or, as we're talking about, the trajectory of things being bad, what are you going to do when people show up at your farm? Okay, because I'm a farmer by trade. I do two farmer's markets. I do the Main Street Farmer's Market, cook mill every week, Wednesdays, four to six, raw milk, and a whole bunch of other good stuff. And I do one to cook milk. And in order to try to get people thinking about these things, I ask a simple diagnostic question. The people, once I've gotten to know them a little bit, I go, hey, if things go bad, let's suppose there's no food on the 
shelf in the grocery store for a week or two, what are you going to do? Now, my hope is they'll say, well, you know, I've got a pretty good stockpile or whatever. What do you think the unanimous answer, with one exception, one exception, in 10 years of doing this, if things go bad, what are you going to do? I'm coming to your car. Like, they're going to come and steal my stuff. What, you know? And I'm like, no, that's a really, really bad idea. So I try to get people thinking about these things. I go, well, you know, you could, like, take care of yourself. You're all trying to be self I know I'm coming to your farm. But what makes you think you have the right to just come so now? I tell them, look, I'm sold out. What do you mean? I go, well, I have people who prepaid and prepositioned food, medical supplies, stuff like that at my farm, and I don't have any more room. Not to mention, which I have 12 brothers and sisters that we take care of them and my mother and my kids and my grandkids. No, no, the one guy wouldn't let it go, right? He's, so I've had one vacation in the last 12 years. One. I spent it going up to North Carolina training in the woods with some pretty high-end folks, so uh, I came back more tired than enough, so whether it's an actual vacation or not, I don't know. But this guy had just gotten back from like Aruba or something like that, right? I don't even know where Aruba is. And I'm like, dude, you're not coming to my farm. He won't let, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it to you this way. I have three grandbabies. I'm going to watch you starve to death before they disappear. How's that? And that finally woke them up. I'm like, dude, we've had this conversation today. You make a lot more money than I make. You've got money to go to Aruba. How about spending a couple hundred bucks and putting some food away? So that's what I'm talking about, is we have to get people thinking in this mindset. So the paradox on one hand is we're called to care for our neighbors. On the other hand, thieves come in to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. I don't think it's right for me to let people steal my stuff, kill my family, and destroy everything I've worked for. I don't think that's a biblical concept. So what we're trying to do is get people to think about these things now. Because if I can look the people that I care about in the eye and say, hey, I don't have room for you in my farm, but I can show you how. Right? It's the old, the old thing. If you give a guy a fish, he's going to eat today. If you teach him how to fish, he's going to eat for life. So when we talk about preparedness, that's the kind of thing we need to start thinking about, thinking about seriously. Because when we talk about the potential scenarios, there's usually three that come up. First one is a natural disaster. They're not unheard of, right? Chattanooga got hit by a pretty bad tornado a few years ago. Up where I live, there was an ice storm that knocked up an hour for two weeks in a lot of that's, that's that's a pretty big deal. But we're not worried about it. you know you need to crawl along and run two weeks is what place to start. The second one is civil unrest. People are concerned about that, but the good thing is that can never happen. And then the third one is what's, you know, in, in, the, in the circles I run in, it's commonly called the end of the world as we know it, zombie apocalypse, things of that nature. That's a, a highly unlikely, but the percentage is not zero, right? That's the thing. I saw it on meme yesterday. It shows a cat sitting on top of a tank, and it says it's highly unlikely that you'll get attacked by a cat with a tank, but the odds are not zero. So... What we need to do, though, is start crawling 
not seen it on TV or something like that, right? So when you're flying and you're sitting there and they're getting ready to take off, they go through the safety protocol. And they say, in the event that the cabin depressurizes, oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. First, that's it. Put on your own mask, then help the people around you. Why do you put on your are you Are you greedy? You want that oxygen first? Is that what it is? Or you just don't care about anybody else? So you're going to put on that mask? No. If you're dying from asphyxia, you're of no good to anybody, right? What good are you? You're dead. You're not helping anybody. So the idea with self-reliance and emergency preparedness is if I can't help myself, I'm of no need to my neighbor. I'd like to help my neighbor that got me up, but I don't have any medical equipment. I've never had any medical training. And uh, sorry for you, pal, but I'm going to make sure I don't stub my toe on the way down the gutter. No, that's not what I'm after. We need to be able to help people. But if I don't, if, I, if I'm not able, I'm not good. So what we're after is three things. The first thing is stuff. Right? You have to have a certain amount of stuff. So hopefully, everybody has a year's supply of food stashed away for them and everybody in their family. If you don't, you can email me. I will be glad to show you uh, what I call QCE, quick, cheap, and easy, how to get a year's supply of food stashed away for you and your immediate family. It's not that hard. It's not that expensive. Uh, it just requires that mindset of intentionality. I have to say this is something that's important. You need to have some medical supplies. You need to have fuel that will wait to keep the lights on for a little while as the power goes out. So stuff is good. But stuff without skills is of very minimal value. We've got a booth set up out there for the Sequatchie School. My buddy Josh, who's a, among other things, a paramedic and a, a emergency a trauma med instructor, things like that. He can tell you that people will show up all the time and they've got stuff, but they've never had any training in actually how to use it. So the gun dudes that show up at my at my pistol classes, my rifle classes. Now, the very popular thing is you need to have at least three tourniquets on you at all times. One here, one on your gear, and one taped to your rifle. If you don't have that, well, you're just nobody, right? The vast majority of these dudes who have all these tourniquets have never been trained in how to actually use a tourniquet, but it looks really cool. So stuff is good, but skills are better. The more skill you have, the less stuff you need. But far, you can't do without either of those. But more important than those two is community, building the community of like-minded people that you you might want to write this down because I'm going to talk about how to build a mutual assistance group. And the acronym I use is KLG: people that you know, people that you like, people that you trust. And it doesn't have to be people who are completely like-minded because if everybody agrees on everything all the time, the odds of that happening is zero, right? And one of the things that we, we're going to have to do is kind of learn how to put aside some of these things that aren't necessarily all that important right now. 
spreading around is just how evil and malevolent uh, the people that are trying to do these things to us are. It's almost, when you start to consider it, you kind of go down a pretty black hole. But we have to understand, you know, you, you need to understand your enemy to know how to fight them. And they have a five-point plan that they're working on. The first thing they're working on, and they're very good at it. They've been at it now for about 6,000 years, so they've had a lot of practice. The first thing they want to do is demoralize us. Get us discouraged, but not just demoralize us. They're actually destroying our morality. Here's how bad it is. I have a good friend of mine who lives just a few miles from here. I teach physical classes at his farm pretty frequently. And this dude is a hardcore atheist. And he has an A tattooed on his arm. I thought it was for anarchy. He goes, no, no, the anarchy one has a circle around it. This is just an A. I go, what's that? Because I said, are you an anarchist? He goes, well, I am. But uh, He goes, this is for atheism. And I'm like, huh. So he and I are talking. I mean, this thing is an absolute pure and applied atheist. There is no God type of deal. And uh, we're talking one day, and I talked about how they're trying to demoralize us. And he says, oh, you aren't kidding, dude. He goes, the morality of our country is in the toilet. <laughs> how bad are things when the atheists say there's no morality? You know you're in big trouble, right? So they're not only trying to discourage us and, and get us, you know, weaken us like that, but the, they're destroying the morality, the underpinnings of our country. How many of you came here today just hoping to meet some like-minded people? Raise your hand. Well, that's fantastic. You're going to, but the good news is there are way more like-minded people out there than you know. And we're going to talk about that in a bit, talking about our social systems. But that's a big reason why people come to all these shootings. So they try to demoralize us, and they've done a good job at it. The second thing they try to do is divide us, right? How are the many ways they can divide us? Black or white? Mask or no mask of all the stupid things. Republican or Democrat, like there's any real difference there, right? On and on and on. They just try to divide us constantly. Uh, and, I, and, it's, it, and it happens from people that I say around, you know, I had one guy tell me, you should only have Christians in your mutual assistance group. I said, really? I said, you want Thomas Jefferson on your team? Uh, yeah. Well, sorry, pal, he wasn't a Christian. Most of the people were at the churches I've gone to, I would not want them on my team. Uh, oh, how many people are not in here, right? So they tried to divide us. If I want to look for one, are there any Catholics in the room? Okay, so he's a Catholic. Okay, I'm a Reformed Presbyterian. 500 years ago, we were busy killing each other. And Kenton here is an Anabaptist. What we do is team up and, and together and kill the Anabaptists, right? So now, guess what? We're all here in the same room. We're all friends because we're all pulling in the same general direction, right? We want, it's a, it's a very simple equation. What do we want? We want life, liberty, and property. It's been around for a good long time. It worked for Jefferson. Sounds like a good plan. Hey, if we can focus on that, and quit all these divisions doesn't mean they're important, doesn't mean I'm necessarily wanting my particular group, but I want you to make it. I want you to survive. Why? Because I'm 
Good Samaritan. I don't really care if you're Jewish or Catholic or atheist or Buddhist on that level. Do I care? Yes. But am I going to share the gospel with you? Hopefully, probably not well, but I'm going to at some point. But in the meantime, if you're dead, I can't share the gospel with you, right? Is that, is, that a is that pretty square? I think we can all agree on that. Is that something we can all agree on? There we go. So, they try to divide us, they try to demoralize us. The next thing they try to do, historically, is, I'm this one here, but historically, what they then try to do is make us hungry. And a big part of what the Agora is about, a big part of what self-reliance is about, is food. Trying to learn how to food away. Trying to learn how to store food, trying to grow food. What a super great idea that would be, right? How many people here have chickens and did not eat ever uh, At least one. My son said to me the other day, he said, Brent, and he said, Dad, I think every white guy in Tennessee is growing chickens now. I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, there's going to be a tremendous glut on the, on the egg market here pretty soon. But they try to starve us out, and the next thing they try to do is impoverish us, right? Who thinks their money's worth anywhere near what it was a year ago? Oh, inflation's only at 7%, right? So we know that they're, they're uh, diminishing what our money will buy through rampant inflation, sending, don't even. <laughs> the lowest estimate I've seen is that 700,000 illegal immigrants are going to be allowed into the country this week. 700,000 paid for, brought here by our government, allowed through the gates. If, I, if I'm in Mexico and I show up at the border and I don't have a passport, can I come in? No. What happened to equal protection under the law, right? No. So, if you're discouraged, if you feel like you're all alone, if you're broke and hungry, what resistance can you give to the bad people when they show up and say, get on the bus, you have to go to the team camp? What resistance can you give them? None. You can't. It's impossible. And that's the position they're trying to put us in. I'm loosely affiliated with several mutual assistance groups around the state. And in one of them, there was a young lady that was threatened with losing her job if she didn't take the vaccine. Her boss said, you're going to get the shot or you're all done. So I found out about it and I said, no, that ain't going to happen. So we got together and we said, how much is your car payment? How much is your mortgage? How much food do you have? Ask some basic questions, right? And I said, if you lose your job, how long will it be till you can find another job and take care of your own expenses? Maybe three months. I said, no problem. I make a few calls. I talk to some of my pals. We get together. We said, we got you covered for six months. Food, mortgage, rent, rent, car payment, all your expenses. We got you for six months. Tell your boss to go she tells her boss, you're going to have to fire me. I'm not quitting. I'm not taking a shot. He comes back the next day and says, you know, we reconsidered. 
And she's that poor Jewish guy beaten to a pulp in a gutter by herself. What would she have done? She had two choices. You have no idea how many people I know who took the shot, didn't want to. Oh, but they weren't made to do it, right? No one forced them to do it. They're going to lose their job. They're going to lose their income. They're going to be ostracized. They might lose, I mean, there's states where they want to take your kids away, right? But there's no pressure. It's, it's totally up to you. That's baloney. You know it's baloney, right? But because she had that network of people willing to come alongside her, now she can make the right choice for her. What, what would it have cost us if I get 20 guys together to cover her expenses? Funny little car payment, rent payment, we all got food. That's what I'm getting at. Is we have to build that type of community where no money on them. But why can you rely on them? Because they can rely on you. You know, John Kennedy said, don't ask what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, it's the same thing in the mutual assistance movement. You go in there saying, hey, what am I going to be able to get? What can I call off of these folks? That ain't so good. It's a bad mindset. The mindset has to be what do I bring to the table? Everybody, everybody brings something to the table. So I normally uh, have 10 questions that I go through, but I'll just go through a couple of them. So just yeah, I'm kind of paper right now. We'll talk about this stuff. Okay. So here's a first simple question. I have a year's supply of food for everybody in my immediate family. Stored away. Yes or no? Second question. I have a written plan on how to deal with friends and family when they show up at my door on Third question. Other than my mortgage, I have no debt, credit cards, and cards are paid off. Fourth question. In the event that banks and ATMs are not working, I can immediately lay my hand on a thousand dollars cash. Fifth question. I have a solid medical kit in my home and in my car. Sixth question. In the last year, I've taken at least one advanced medical training class.
seventh question. I have a rifle and a pistol and adequate ammunition for both. Adequate being at least a thousand Next question. In the last year I've taken at least one training class. Oh, never mind. It's Tennessee. I'm, let me tell you, one of the hardest things in Tennessee is getting people to think they actually need. Every white guy in America is a, in Tennessee is a direct descendant from Davy Crockett. Right? They come out of the womb knowing how to shoot, and they absolutely don't want some Yankee teaching them how to do that. It's almost unbelievable. These guys will let their egos get in the way of being able to take care of their families. Well, that's enough. So I'm not going to embarrass anybody by asking to raise your hand and give yourself a score. But you can see where this is going, right? It's stuff and skills. Stuff and skills. So you need to start getting that mentality that, you know, that there's a verse that's not in the Bible. The Lord helps those who help themselves, right? But that precept is, I think, a good one. That if we can help ourselves, we can help others. If we can't, so if you, uh, all of those things, if you shoot me an email, I can help start pointing you in the right direction. Uh, but the number one thing, in my opinion, is food. If, you, if you're starving to death, you're not going to be able to help anyone. So if you need help getting going on, getting food stored away, uh, I can send you the resources that will help you do that. It's not hard, it's not real expensive. And that's, I do a two-hour class on emergency prep. First 45 minutes is just on food. That's how important it is, in my opinion. So, what we're going to do is talk just for the remaining little bit of time I have on actual mutual assistance groups, how they work, that kind of thing. And there's, there's no one size fits all, I'm sure. But uh, it turns out this has been going on. I'm Johnny Come Lately. I started running Cookville back two and a half, three years ago, and I thought I was really you know, Johnny on the spot, and I find out about freedom cells. That's how I met. Joshua. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not newbie at this, but they're popping up everywhere. So what I did is, in the Cookville Farmer's Market, my wife isn't there, so I can kind of uh, wax on <laughs> these things that she'd rather not talk about in Chattanooga. So I sent out an email to 19 people that I knew pretty well, and I said, hey, in the event of natural disaster or civil unrest, we need to be able to take care of each other. I'd like to get together next Sunday afternoon and talk about that. I had a coffee shop where I know the owner and she lets me do whatever I want there. So I know that they closed at four on Sunday, so I said at four o'clock, we're gonna meet. So I was in sales for a long time. So if you have 19 really good prospects and you send out a letter like that, normally you'll get 50% of them saying, yes, I'll be there. And about half of them will show up. So I was hoping for five, maybe six people. I sent that letter out to 19 people and 21 showed up. Okay? So that tells you where our minds are. And that group, I, I handed off the leadership of that group about a year and a half ago and it's still going really strong. So what we do is we get together every month and we just hang out for a good long time because people need that fellowship, that, you know, that like-mindedness is really good. But we also have somebody do a presentation on something. We've had people come and talk about cryptocurrency. People come and talk about how to make your own tourniquets and use them. A lot of stuff on 
growing herbs, another class on how to use herbs medicinally, how to grow food, how to put your uh, put your livestock. It just and it, there's no it's limitless the things you can talk about. So by doing that on a regular monthly basis with people that you KLT people you know people you like people you trust, you can start to develop that network. Eventually. It's going to get, uh, it starts getting little subgroups, like Joshua's group here. If you're not part of the Chattanooga Voluntary Society, you really ought to be if you're in the area. So they have subgroups on homeschooling, little subgroups on cryptocurrency, little subgroups on farming and stuff, all kinds of little things that people get together in, you know, in smaller groups throughout the week. And then uh, eventually, you know, things like it's more serious. If you haven't read uh, Mao Zedong's Little Red Book on how to set up resistance cells and how to develop the right time to start doing that. But that's how that group in Cookville looks. We've now got a few subgroups going. And it's it's just fantastic. It's, it's not rocket science. You don't need somebody up front that's really super dynamic. You just need somebody up front that will take the initiative. So as far as the logistics of making it happen, it's really pretty simple. You're going to look, nowadays, you know, back in the day it was a Rolodex or your address book, nowadays it's your phone, right? So you're going to go to your phone's contact list, and the way I did it is I just rated them A, B, C, D. A is somebody I think I can trust implicitly. B is somebody I really like and I can probably trust. C is somebody who generally seems to be on the team. D is somebody that I don't want do it. But if you look at that, you'll come up with 15 or 20 names. Most people have a big enough home that they can meet right now for initially. And send out that simple email that says, hey, or take a look at, let's say you go to lunch with somebody and you ask them a simple diagnostic question. What do you think the trajectory of our country is? Do you think our kids are going to live as free as we do? You ever worry about these shortages that we're getting? Do you think they could be worse? Do you think these demon worshiping pedophiles really want to kill us? You know, things along that line. If, if you've got a good job initially at you know figuring out who these people are, it's pretty easy to get a group going. If you're having trouble with that, anybody who's ever been in sales ever is supposed to make a list of a hundred people that they know, right? So you can find these anywhere on the, on the internet. You download the memory, it's called a memory jogger list, right? Who's your accountant? Who's your baker? Who's your car repairman? I don't know, skip D. Uh, who's an engineer? Who's a farmer? Who's your grocer? Write down that list. Start making the list of people that you know. What do you think is going to happen after today? About 10% of you are actually going to make that list. And that, if that happens, that'll be a good number. It can be people that you go to church with, people, people that you, uh, a good way to phrase it is this, people that I like, or people I'd like to be like. I want to be like Joshua. Joshua's he's got a podcast, he's very humble, I mean, the guy is just phenomenal. That's what we're after. 
So I'm a little more loquacious than he is, right? He's a little bit more reserved. Which is better? It doesn't matter. We both have successful groups going. Why? Because we just take a little bit of initiative and make it happen. If there's one thing that people on our team, if I can use me, you know, everybody knows what I mean when I say that, right? People that generally, you know what Jack Spirko says, there's two types of people in the world. People who want to be left alone and the people who won't leave us alone. Right? We want to be left alone. That's all we want. It's all we really want. Are they going to leave us alone? No. They are not going to leave us alone. Just the federal government has 168,000 pages of regulations. I hear people say, oh, those Christians want a theonomy. They want to run everything. You know, they want to tell yeah, we got 10 commandments. You got 168,000 pages of regulations, 25,000 federal laws, but you're free, right? I'm a, I'm a, anyway, all we want is to be left alone, but they're not going to leave us alone. So we have to, have to, have to join together, because what are we good at? We're good at griping and complaining and bitching and moaning and pointing out how hypocritical these people are and how bad they are. And look at what they did. Oh, look at that. They don't wear a mask, but they make it. They don't care. Hypocrisy is a big part of their game plan. That's what they do. When you point it out, you know what you're doing? You're wasting your time. While we're busy griping, moaning, complaining, you know what they're doing? They're working their plan. Their plan is to turn us into slaves. Who wants to be a slave? Raise your hand if you want to be a slave. Oh, no takers, huh? Well, guess what? If we keep doing what we've been doing, we're going to keep getting what we've been getting, and what we've been getting is beaten. Who's sick of being beaten? Who's sick of getting your ass beat? Raise your hand. Anybody sick of it? I know I sure am. The only, if we keep working within that system, we can't win because the system is rigged. That's what this entire Agora Fest is about. It's setting up alternatives to that system. Ken is going to talk about the Mennonite community. They've been doing it for how long now, Ken? Five hundred years. Think Kenton might be worth listening to. They've got some things going. Theologically, do Kenton and I agree on everything? No. Am I glad Kenton and I live five miles apart from each other? Yes. So we have to start. I'm not saying ignore the problem. What I'm saying is we need action, action, action. You have to take action. Crawl, then walk, then run. But in my opinion. The quickest, cheapest, and easiest action you can take is to join or start a mutual assistance group. Start getting together regularly with people that you know, like, and trust with a plan to acquire stuff, learn skills, and build community. I'm going to uh, end with a quote from Edmund Burke. Everybody knows Edmund Burke's most famous statement, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Everybody's nodding, right? You've all heard that. Who agrees with that? Who agrees that if good men do nothing, evil is going to triumph? You may not know it, but you just declared yourselves to be Calvinists. So, but we'll save that theological discussion for another day. But here's a less famous but uh, more poignant quote from 
Edmund Burke. He says, while men are linked together, they easily and speedily communicate the alarm of any evil design. Are they linked together like a community, like a mutual assistance group? They are enabled to fathom it with common counsel and to oppose it with united strength. Whereas, when these same men lie dispersed without concert or order or discipline, their communication is uncertain, their counsel difficult, and resistance is impractical. Where men are not acquainted with each other's principles, nor experienced in each other's talents, nor at all practiced in their mutual habitudes and dispositions by joint efforts in business, or no personal confidence, no friendship, no common interest, subsisting among them, it is evidently impossible. It's impossible that they can act a public part with uniformity, perseverance, or efficacy. In other words, they're useless. In a connection, the most, this is really important, because how many of us have said, I'm just one guy, I'm just one man, what can I do, right? In a connection, the most inconsiderable man, by adding to the weight of the whole, has his value and his use, but out of it, the greatest talents are wholly unserviceable to the public. No man who is not inflamed by vainglory and enthusiasm can flatter himself that his single, unsupported, desultory, unsystematic endeavors are a power to defeat the subtle designs and united cabals of ambitious citizens. When bad men combine, the good must associate, else they will fall one by one. Not a pitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. We all know from the Bible the account of Jacob and Esau, right? Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are twin brothers. Which one was the first one? Esau was the first one. Esau had the blessing. He had the inheritance coming from his father Isaac. Jacob was the second one. Esau was the guy we really liked. He was a tough guy, out hunting and fishing all day, a manly man. You'd have known the two of them. You'd, I know I would. I'd like Esau a whole lot better. Jacob, on the other hand, is kind of a mama's boy, always helping mom out. Hold on to her apron strings. So one day, Esau gets home from a day of hunting, and he hadn't got anything. He's cold, he's wet, he's tired, and he's hungry. And Jacob is in the kitchen cooking up stew. And Esau says, Hey, Jacob, give me some of that stew. Come on, man, I'm really hungry. I want that stew. And Jacob says, Give me your birthright. And I'll give you a bowl of stew. I'm not giving you my birthright for a bowl of stew. No stew for you. So Esau says, Fine. I'll give you my birthright. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. We have a birthright of liberty, and we just run away. 
Good without anything. When we look at what Edmund Burke says, when bad men combine, the good must associate, or else they'll fall one by one. An unpitied sacrifice and a contemptible struggle. Don't let that be us. We take action. So that was Bradley Bleasdale speaking at Agora Fest in Chattanooga, Tennessee, back May 13th. And that is the end of today's episode. So I will come back next week with the next speaker who was actually myself. I gave a talk on a parallel society, what that means, how that functions, uh, the pros, the cons, how to do it, how it's currently working in different places, these types of things. So uh, a lot of this maybe you have heard in bits and pieces on this podcast, but this should be a good condensed version where it's all in one place, plus plenty of stuff that I don't believe I have really talked about on here. So I think you'll really enjoy that. That will be the next one. And then we'll just carry on the speaker list from there from AgoraFest for the next few episodes. So I do want to make sure I say thank you very much uh, for supporters of this show. And supporters are all kinds. Supporters that are giving financially to the show to make it possible. That's how I can pay for all the things that need to be done for a podcast, hosting and whatnot. And also supporters in the form of listeners. That is the number one way to support this show is to listen to this show. And if you want to take that a step further, leave a rating, leave a review, tell somebody else about the show. These kinds of things are great ways to support. And if you want to take that step to support financially, you can visit the Patreon page or subscribe star, either one or donate directly with cryptocurrency. Uh, could even accept cash, gold, silver. There's all kinds of ways of donating if that's what you want to do. But the easiest way is just to support uh, mainly via the Patreon page and become a patron. There are some perks there if you want to take advantage of that for certain membership levels. And I guess that's all I've got for today. So we'll be back next time with the next episode and the next talk from Agora Fest. I hope that you really enjoy this intermittent series here. I think it's something that will give a lot of stuff that is very relevant to things we talk about on the show and therefore things that you'll probably be very interested in. So till next time, I'm out. Peace.